Good evening, everybody. We're in the middle of Perek Lamed Beis on page Mem Aleph, opposite of page 80. Today's shir um, is sponsored by Ili Nishmas Nassim Ben Tzvi. The Shama should have an aliyah, the discourse of our Limud HaTayra. Eitan Shmuel Ben Chana is having a spinal uh, tap uh, tomorrow morning. And the discourse... Eitan Shmuel Ben Chanaleya Shavar Fuhr Shalema. Amen. Thank you. So let's recap a little what we spoke about last week and maybe add also a little, uh, a little explanation. When we're talking about the Haftalariacha Kamecha, which is the, 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 you know, the central idea of this Perik, love your fellow as yourself. So we started off last week with a question is it really possible? to have the same intensity of love for another as the love that one has for oneself. So to add to that a little, when we say that self-love is stronger than any other love, that's not only, we're not only saying that quantitatively it's a greater love, but others on a scale from one to 10, if uh, my love for myself is a 10, so everyone else will be somewhere between a, a 1 and a 9. In other words, it's the same love. The only question is, how much do I love? How strong and how intense is that love? In truth, the love that we have for ourselves is qualitatively a different love than the love that we have for anyone else. And in which way is that? All love that we have for anyone else is what's called a, a, it's called a ava shalpitam. It is a love that is based upon a reason. It is a contingent love. Why do I love someone else? So, if you if you ever if you want to if you want to stop and consider it and think about it, you'll quickly make a calculation and you'll realize. Sometimes the reason is conscious, sometimes we need to, uh, you know, it's, it's a subconscious reason that we have to dig a little deeper. But we can always uncover it. There's a reason why I love that person. That person benefits me in this way or another. Whether it's a practical material benefit, whether it's an emotional benefit. It's a avasha tluya bedavar. Which means that it's a love which is dependent. Now, when you have a love which is dependent, how strong is the love going to be? So the love is going to be just as strong as is the reason. The stronger the reason for the love, the stronger the cause, the stronger the love, the stronger the love. Self-love, however, has no reason. That's the most amazing thing about self-love. That's, that's how it's uh, qualitatively different than any other love. Why do we love ourselves? There is no reason. There is no reason. And because there is no reason, so therefore the love is absolute, because it's not mitigated by anything. It's not qualified. It's not how great is the love by... The, lo the love isn't measured um, against any reason. It's just an absolute love, because there is no reason for the love. It's a love which... Uh, doesn't go up and doesn't go down. Yes. In the case where you're loving the other person because of the thing, is it really? Is it? I guess the case is that you're really loving the thing. Is that true? That you're actually loving the thing, not the kid. Spoke about this last uh, last week. So the, what you really love is yourself. It's a fish. Oh, so, and it's the thing fish that it's good for you. So it's like the fish. It boils down to it's you. 
We spoke about the two people in the ice cream parlor last week, right? Right. Okay. Everyone is there because they love themselves. It's not that they're both there for the same reason because they love ice cream. Each one is there for a different reason because this one's there because he loves himself and therefore he loves the way ice cream um, makes his taste buds, uh, excites his taste buds. And the same thing true, is true with the other. Yes? I, I think a lot of people do love themselves based on condition. Okay, you weren't here last week. But even still, it's a... It's a, it's a but we reality. talked about this last week. You see it. I, I understand. That was... A, some, that was a, spoke about this last week. It's available on video. But... Um, Does that mean that they do or don't? They do. Everyone loves themselves. Based on condition? No. Unconditionally. Regardless of what a person has done, a person might be very pained by something, by, by certain aspects of his or her personality. And, um, or by things that they've done in the past. But the fact that I love and care for myself and I'm numero uno, and everything, my life revolves around me, which that is the essence of what that love is, doesn't change. And that's by everyone. I'm not sure if it's a love, it's almost like a consequence. We're not talking here about, uh, about roses. That's not the kind of love we're talking about. We're talking about the deepest form of love, which is the ultimate care. And by the way, the same is true regarding children or regarding siblings, or regarding parents. That that shears the qualities of self-love to a certain extent. Because why do we love our children? There is no reason why we love our children. It's because I love myself and they're part of who I am. Why do I love my parents? Why do I love my siblings? A love between brothers, a love between sisters. Um, that's why these are the, the strongest loves, but again, not only um, uh, quantitatively they're the strongest but qualitatively they're the greatest love that there is because they're not dependent loves so there's me but there's also the larger me the larger me is my children my family my parents they're all that's all part of my all part of my identity and that's by the way spouses do not naturally have that kind of love that kind of uh, spouses as, as we'll get into that soon yes seeing that this is a Tanya Shear I, I, I suppose we're going to Maybe speaking about, like, doesn't doesn't it matter where the love is originating from the animal soul or the godly soul? So when the love originates from the animal soul, that's exactly what we're saying over here. Because the guf and because in a bodily sense, our bodies are separate one from another. So therefore, any love which I have for another is always going to be a seichel shal pitam, a rational love, a love which is a contingent love. The only way it's possible to have a love which is kamoicha, when the Pasuk says, it's not only telling you, I want you to love the person as intensely as you love yourself. It's also saying, I want you to love the person as unequivocally as you love yourself. That's the deeper part of a That The love shouldn't be, it's, you're not loving the person for a reason. Not only that if your love is a 10, that, you know, the intensity of the love. It's not only about how strong the love is, it's the type of love. The type of love that we have, for, and that kind of love is not possible if we're talking about from the nefesh abahamis, from the animal soul, because the animal soul can only love another, because the animal soul, it is at its, the center of its own you know, orbit, at the center of its axes, so everything is about it, that's just its nature, it's, um, it's defined by its self-centeredness, it's not evil, it's not bad, but it's defined by its self-centeredness, so therefore any love for anyone outside of itself is going to be by definition, a contingent love, a qualified love. How is it possible to love another person like you love yourself? That's only if you have an neshama approach, and if you view yourself as a neshama, and you identify as your neshama, 
and you view the other person as a neshama, then it's possible to have kamoicha. Because for, in a neshama in a, in a sense, on the soul level, we are all one. And there is no self-interest in the soul. The soul has no idea, doesn't understand this idea of love which is contingent. Because the soul is one with all of the neshamas, number one. And also the neshama is not, doesn't have self-interest. So that, that issue also doesn't play, doesn't play a role over there. You know, this is related to what we're talking about. Give me one second. In the nine days, as we mentioned, I think last week or two weeks ago, that uh, we're now obviously <clears throat> deep in the in the period of, of um, Avelos for the Beis Hamikdash, and it's not only Avelos, we're not only mourning, but obviously the mourning is intended to um, provoke us to action, and. Um, to uh, provoke us and to uh, urge us to do that which is necessary in order to uh, reverse the current state of Gavos and to bring Mashiach and the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. Why was the Beis HaMikdash destroyed? So we discussed that the Gemara says that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam. So then obviously what is the antidote? What is the antithesis of Sinas Chinam? Avas Chinam. What does Avas Chinam mean? What does Avas mean? But that's exactly, if you realize, that's exactly what we're talking about. Avas means I love the other person for no reason at all. There's no reason why I should love the other person. That is the opposite. In times of the Besamikdash, they were hating each other for, it was baseless hatred. There was no reason for, for the hatred. And how do we combat that with Avas which means that I love the other person for no reason. The person is not deserving of my love. I don't... Um, I don't, uh, I don't gain anything from that person. And nevertheless, I love the person. Why? Because just like I love myself unconditionally, so I have, I have a love for every other person unconditionally also. So we bring Mashiach not through the normal love and kindness which we do, which is an animal soul, a nefshah Bahamis um, source love, which that is not avaschinam. That is ava with a reason. So where do we, you know, the, the, the ultimate, uh, ultimate Avas Yisrael is to the person who doesn't deserve it, just like a father loves his children, just like a person loves himself, although he's not necessarily deserving of the love, just like a parent loves the children, even though they're not necessarily deserving of the love. And it's not only the person says, is my child, you know, it's not like a parent says, okay, is my child deserving my love? He's not, the, you know what, he's not deserving my love, but I'm going to love him anyways. That's not, it doesn't work the way. Like the whole idea of having to have a reason why to love a child is, 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 is ludicrous. Why do you love your child? Because. Why do we love another yid? Because he's another yid. Because, we, I'm a, because he's a neshama, I'm a neshama, we're the same thing. If you identify with your goof, if you identify with your you know, self-interest, then that's impossible because everything is seen through the lens of my self-interest and everything has to have a reason. But if you're operating from a neshama place, then it's perfectly natural that you love every single yid. Come like you love yourself with that sort of unconditional love. I'll get to you in a second, but you also you wanted to say something before. Okay, um... Okay, I'm kind of advanced past, but it's kind of... So you say that the animal soul loves itself. It does love itself unconditionally. Correct. So we say it in a certain way that's... Um, but for another, it can't do it. Um, so, but, it, but, but, an, but a godly soul could do it. So it's kind of interesting when you say... But then why makes the animal soul able to do it for itself? So here's the bottom line question I have is when it says that 
you love yourself unconditionally, who is the you talking about? Is the is the you your animal soul? Meaning to say that you your animal soul loves the animal soul unconditionally, but not the godly soul? So who is the you, I guess is the question. That's a great question, yes. And I think just like it's natural, on the part of the animal soul to love oneself unconditionally, it's possible to love every single Jew in that same way if viewed through the, the prism of the godly soul. Yes? My dad used to tell me when I was a little toddler making trouble, he used to say, if you weren't my son, <laughs> I maybe wouldn't love you. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, it's the famous expression, you want to make fun of someone, a face that only a mother could love, right? That's, uh, that's the truth. But I think the, the deeper question might be, um, what does this love look like? What does it look like? How does it sound like in your head? You know, like, like let's say you're in a situation where something goes not so well. What's that thought process look like? What, what is the I want you to hold that question. Because does it feel like this I want thought? you to hold that question. So I think by the time we finish the class today, I think you'll have the answer. I hope so. Okay? Because we use that word a lot, love, love, love. Right. So what do we mean? Right, right, right. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. How is it expressed exactly? Yeah, what does it look like? I think that's a great question, and I think we'll, I think we'll address it. Working definition of love from the, ne- uh, from the Nishama side. I got you. Love is not feeling? Sorry? Love, it's not feeling. Love is absolutely it's feeling, it's and it's care, and it's compassion, and it's everything. So how, how you can see love? How I can... No, he doesn't mean what he doesn't mean what does it look like with the you know what, if you're make, drawing a painting he means uh, what 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 kind what kind of feeling is that we'll we'll talk about I think we'll talk about that uh, as the uh, as the class goes on you know it's interesting that we say that all Yidin are one are, we we all share one neshama on a soul level we're all one I don't know if we mentioned this last week but this is the the um, the Arizal, there's a sefer called Taimei Hamitzvus. Today's Elul. Right, right. There's a sefer called Taimei Hamitzvus, of um, written by the Talmud of the Arizal, Chaim Vital. And, and when it comes to the mitzvah of Avos Yisrael, he says over there that the reason for the how's it possible? Well, the reason for Avos Yisrael, the kabbalistic understanding of Avos Yisrael, is that the neshama of Adam Harishon. Included within it, all the neshamas of all of, of all of Kal Yisrael. We were all included in the neshama of Adam Rishon. Some of us were in the hand, some of us were in the foot, some of us were in the head, some of us were in the heart of the neshama of Adam Rishon. And therefore, we're all one. All of us hidden are one. And he says over there, he says that's why the Rambam Vital says that's why my my master, the Arizal, would say all the viduim, all the all the viduim, the confessions, Ashamnu Bagadnu. Why is he saying Ashamnu Bagadnu? Arizal never did any averus, obviously. But because we're part of Klal Yisrael, so even if you never sinned, you could say Hashamnu Bagadnu because we're all one, we're all impacted by it. So from a Neshama level, we're talking all one. I don't know which rabbi went to a doctor and said, Dr. Malimpert was his wife. So that's directly leading into our next conversation. That was Rabbi Ari Levin, the Tzaddik of Yerushalayim. Mm-hmm. And somewhat of a famous story that he once went to the doctor with his wife. And the doctor says, why are you here? And he says, because my wife's foot is hurting us. That was his response. And that's a, a, a lead into our next conversation, which is even though we are all one, but as we mentioned, just there, there, are, there are certain people who are closer in the neshama. By way of example, you have 600,000 root souls that were all based in other Adam Arishan. Those 600,000 neshamas were present in the 600,000 Yidin who left Mitzrayim. Now those um, those 600,000 further subdivided 
I believe that each one of those 600,000 subdivided into another 600,000. Each spark subdivided into 600,000 sparks. So someone's good at math over here, you can, that's, a, that's a, a large number. And every Jew has part of that spark, a, 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 a part of the spark. So it's possible that me and you were from the same spark, in, that, in which case we're closer then I would be with you, even though we're all part of one neshama, we're all part of one body, but we're closer. Just like, for example, two tendons in the finger are closer than something in the leg, even though that it's all one, they're all one body. And families are closer, families all come from the same branch, but the closest neshama that, that can be is a neshama which is um, the husband and wife. There's nothing close in the husband and wife, as we know that it says in Kabbalah, that a husband and a wife, each one of them contains a plaguf, a half of a body. A, 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 no, sorry, the Gemara says, the Gemara says that a husband and a wife are 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 are, are plaguf, are half of a, each one is a half. And what? The, the the lashon of the Gemara actually is ish teke gufay. Ish teke gufay. It's it's actually a halachic principle. Ish teke gufay. Right. Um, uh, I believe that's the exact words of the Gemara and it has halachic application in terms of uh, just fascinating that you know we, in terms of the halachic hierarchy of closeness there's halacha that we're not allowed to we don't um, we don't redeem captives for more than they're worth Golden times when that was an issue and you had, whether you had pirates or whether you had uh, other bandits who used to, uh, you know, roam the desert and they would take uh, captives and they would sell them off for slaves. So one of the greatest mitzvahs that there is is the mitzvah of Pidyan Shuyim. It's a mitzvah rabba. It takes precedence to almost anything else. The mitzvah of Pidyan Shuyim, of that if there's a, a, a Jew who is um, in captivity, we have to um, ransom him. But what if, the, what if the captives are overcharging? We don't pay. The Gemara gives, uh, one of the reasons the Gemara gives is because Because if the, if the pirates see that the Jews fetch a, uh, a greater and a larger sum than another person, yeah. Keep doing it. then they're going to target Yidin specifically. So that's why um, we don't pay more. So even though that this is a case where the, the benefit of, of, the, of the collective, of the community, takes precedence over the benefit of the, of the individual. That's what happened with the terrorists. They captured one Israeli soldier. That's the very. Uh, that's the very, and that's and, and that's why what do, that's why what do they want to do? The terrorists, the, their biggest prize is if they can capture a soldier, and that's we brought that. We Israel has brought that upon herself by by violating this uh, this this concept in this halacha, right? Although it comes from an admirable place, and that's not in other words that you also have to be malamed as chus. And it comes from a place of tremendous avas Yisrael, tremendous care and empathy. But sometimes there has to be a midas hagvura, which says that um, you know there are larger, larger issues at hand. So there's one exception to this rule of overpaying for a captive, and that is that in the ksuba it says one of the tenoim of the ksuba. If you go home tonight and you look at your ksuba, you'll see that one of the things that you obligated yourself when you got married is that if, uh, I don't want to say you, your wife, but if so, that if someone's wife becomes, uh, becomes captured, becomes kidnapped, then it is the obligation of the husband to pay. 
and he has to pay up to 10 times her value. Obligated, absolutely obligated. And he's allowed to pay even by whatever he wants. He's allowed to give all his money away if he wants. But up to 10 times, he's obligated to pay. Um, that's an exception to the rule. Children are not an exception to the rule. In other words, let's say someone's son or daughter gets uh, kidnapped. That's not an exception. You're not allowed to, uh, not allowed to pay for, for, more, uh, for more than the value, which is obviously a very difficult halacha. But sometimes it's a... Uh, Halacha demands uh, difficult things. How do you know the value? There's a, a known times. There's a standard value. There's a value of uh, son, daughter. How do you know the value? Sorry, the slave value. Slave in the, the olden times, there was a value. Slave value. Yeah, yeah. there was a slave market. There was a market, right? You know, in the in the nine days. So we could talk a little uh, stories that are a little a little sad. In the sefer, maybe some of you heard of it. A sefer called Chalos Atuvus Memamakim. It's also printed in English, at least selections of it. It's called The Responsa from the Holocaust, written by a Rav whose name was Rabbi Ephraim Ashri. Um, this Rabbi Ephraim Ashri was a Rav in the city. He was a, a junior Rav in the city of Kovna. And he would, he had a lot of questions. He had halachic questions during the Holocaust, and uh, obviously heartbreaking questions. You know, which were spawned by the conditions of the time, and he, there was a the big rub of there was uh, Rabbi Specter Hanan. What's the, I forgot what his name is. Yes, he but he and he passed away during the war. The the, the rub the passed away. Yes, early in the war. No, he passed away during the war. In the ghetto. Yes, he passed away in the ghetto. Yes. So maybe we're talking about a different rub. I'm talking about his name was something Specter. His last name a very a very famous rub. It's possible. It's possible. And he pa he passed away in the ghetto. So he, when he had questions, he would consult with the Rav. This Rabbi Ashri would consult, and he wrote down the answers. And he he, he buried his man the, 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 all his answers. He was taken off the concentration camp, and after the war, he survived. He came back. He found the he found all his notes, and he published them. It's fascinating and heartbreaking. The um, these shalos of Um Incidentally, one of the one of his uh, one of the questions that he was uh, asked was about shaving a beard, shaving beards with uh, with a razor, because it was sakanis nafashis to shave a beard, not to, to have a beard, because the the Nazis yemachshemam. If someone had a beard, they would uh, first of all I mean, they they would go and they would you know by hand pull out the beard, and sometimes worse. In other words, it was uh, they would they they had special pleasure from. Um, from harassing, taunting, and even killing people who had beards, and it was illegal in the in the ghetto. But there weren't there, there weren't um, there were razors. There were, but the other means which are halachically permitted, there it wasn't uh, in the in the ghetto. There wasn't. So people asked whether a lot of um, shave their beards with a razor. So his answer was that yes, you're allowed. Most of the answers are very lenient, obviously, given given the time. And he said you're allowed to nefesh. And he writes over there that there are only two yidden in the kav in the ghetto who didn't shave their beard. And one of them was, one of them was the Rav of the city, Rabbi Specter, again, who, he said due to his position, it wouldn't have made a difference because the Nazis knew exactly who he was and where he was, so it didn't make a difference that he had a beard. And he said the other one was a simple Chabad Chassid who lived in the community and uh, who just absolutely refused to, to, to shave his beard. And that Chabad Chassid, his name was actually, his name was Zisman. Shraga Five Zisman, I know his son. His son uh, is still alive today. 
but uh, there was something about this chassid. There's nothing. Uh, yes, pikuach nefesh. No pikuach nefesh. But uh, he's not. He wasn't going to touch his beard. So this is uh, what? No, he did not survive. This chassid did not survive. He's two, he had two sons who survived the war. Um, one of them is labeled Zisman, one of them is, uh, I think, Bar- not, I forgot the other one. One of them passed away recently, one of them is still alive. <clears throat> so, um, so one of the questions he was asked, well, someone came to him and said like this, he said, I'm trying to remember the details correctly, that his son was chapped. They took his son. And they're basically they're sending him. Uh, I don't remember whether they're sending him off to the to death camps or maybe they. I think not. I think they're going to take him out to the woods. And they were planning. Uh, they they chopped up a thousand, uh, up to a thousand, um, a thousand kids somewhere around there. And they were all in the central police station. All the all 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 the kids that were caught, awaiting their fate. I believe they, they, they were just taken and shot. I believe in Kavna they, were, they, were just, they took them out to, to a fortress outside town. They, 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 they pushed it, shot to death tens of thousands of Eden. He says like this. He says that the guards are bribable. And I have money. I could bribe the, I could, I could bribe the guard. And um, he'll give me back my son. Only thing is, the bribes weren't the Nazis. The bribes were the, the Lithuanians. Says the, the the Nazis chopped a thousand kids or whatever the number was. They're going to want a thousand kids. So if I go and I bribe and I take my son, what's going to happen is that guard who's going to take the money, how he's going to go and chop someone else, and and take him in the stead. So am I allowed to do that? Am I logically allowed to go and 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 bribe the guard to take my son? To um, imagine this question. Imagine this question. And the Rav says, I don't know. I don't know. These are halakhically complex questions. He didn't have all this farm also, as you can imagine. So he says, I don't know. You didn't ask me. I'm not giving you any answer. And the person says, no, no, Rav. Unless you tell me that I'm allowed to, I'm not going to do it. Unless you tell me clear that according to Allah, I'm allowed to, I'm not doing it. And back and forth, I can't answer you. He walked away, and the way he describes it in the Sefer, how his joy of this Yid, he says, today, I, I don't remember the exact words, but I am doing a mitzvah, like Avram Avinu who gave up his son on the Akedah, and I'm following the, I'm following the Shulchan Aruch, this most difficult thing I ever did in my life, and the joy he took in following the Halacha, and the fact that the son was taken, the son was killed, but he knew that he did not compromise his... Uh, his integrity or the halacha. That's, uh, sometimes the difficult decisions have to be made and um, it takes strength. So back to the, back to the, we're going off a little on tangents, but back to the story about the, about, so you're, you're, the exception is the wife. The wife you're allowed to redeem. For more, it's better. Right, for more. So the Gemara asks, why? Why allowed to redeem your wife for more than her value? The whole point is you're not allowed to redeem a person more than the captive because you don't want the captors to, uh, you know. So the Gemara answers, because a person's wife is, it's like yourself. So just like if you were captured, would you be allowed to spend? Would you would would you be allowed to spend all your money to ransom yourself? Of course. The issue is only you're not allowed to pay the ransom for someone else. But for yourself, no one's going to tell you you can't use your money to ransom yourself. And therefore, the same rule applies to one's wife. 
Not again, not to one's children, but to, to one's wife. Which goes to show that's the halachic principle. And Kabbalah talks about the idea that a, neshama, a husband and a wife, they each have a half of a neshama, and there is that reunion when they come together, which is, uh, Al Turab explains, and Amaimir is the reason for the tremendous joy of a chasana. A way of example, you have two uh, best friends who have been separated for so many years and they finally, they're rejoined. That incredible joy, that is the joy that we have by Chasana. Um, it's the joy of the reunion and the reuniting of two halves of an neshama that were parted, that were parted by birth. So this idea of Avas Yisrael, which we're talking about, that everyone has one neshama, it's all calling Yisrael, it's true, but in a much closer sense, that's true about, about husband and wife. And therefore, the, um, the principles that we're talking about over here definitely also apply in terms of marriage. That what is a successful marriage? A successful marriage is one that's based upon the neshama, based upon this idea that we're two, we, are, we are two neshamas that are compatible as opposed to um, a love which is based on the nefshah Bahamas. And that is a um, very big idea in, in, in the Jewish way of marriage. Now we live in a world where what's the typical way? How, does, how do marriages happen? So boy meets girl, boy likes girl, girl likes boy, they get married. And then we know the statistics of how you know of um, how successful, on average, these marriages are. Why is the reason why? Because this is the ultimate way in contingent love. It's contingent love. Each one. What you could do for me. What? What you could do for me. Right. That's what they usually ask. Right. The the the, the, the do for me, Each one has a reason. The boy has a reason why he why he likes the girl, and the girl has a reason why he likes the boy. But what if, but what about when those reasons go away? Or. What about when other things overshadow those reasons? So suddenly the love is gone. And by, and, and by us, l'chadchila, the whole thing is based on, you know, we talk about the, uh, the way the shidduch system. But, but what is the point of the shidduch system? The, shidduch, shidduch point of the, the point of the shidduch system is to create a, an atmosphere and a situation we're, it's an Ashamadiki marriage, where the marriage is based, we're asking, what is your goals? What is your aspirations? What is, uh, are they compatible with mitzad der ruchnius, mitzad der neshamas? Now, obviously, we can't, we can't take MRIs of the neshama and know whether they're, they're compatible match, but it creates a, a, an atmosphere wherein both of them are there for a singular goal, not me to benefit myself and the other one to benefit themselves, but they're all coming together for an Ashamadiki reason to create a binyan adayad on the foundations of Torah mitzvahs, which makes it, again, a more of an Ashamadik relationship, which um, is then obviously, both in terms of the odds of it lasting are better, but moreover, it's more than that. It's the, the quality of the relationship is a greater one because it's not contingent on the self-interest of each one of them, but both of them have a higher, have a higher aspiration. And what's interesting is that what is the halachic difference between a Jewish marriage and a non-Jewish marriage? A Jewish marriage is a two—it's a two-stage process. There's kiddushin and then there's nisuin. And by going, there is no kiddushin. There's only uh, there's only nisuin. We say kiddushin, right? Kiddushin. What is kiddushin? Kiddushin is the, when, the, when the when the man gives the woman the ring. Right, that's the Kiddushan. It says, Hariat Mikudashas. That's the Kiddushan. 
And then the Nisuin is when the husband and wife actually live together. Whether it's in the Yichud room, maybe it's whether it's symbolized by the Chupa and the Shavibrach, there are different opinions of exactly how the Halacha, different opinions of how the Nisuin is affected. But in and by the way, today we do the Kiddush and the Nisuin together. In the olden times, they were separated very often for up to 12 months for, for different reasons. That practice of separating the Kiddushin from the Nisuin was discontinued. Long times you had a stage of Kiddushin and then Nisuin. What is the purpose of Kiddushin? But the Kiddushin means Kiddushan, the holiness of the marriage. What is the, what is the stage of Kiddushin? So here's what's interesting. What do we say in the Bracha? Kiddushin is also called Erusin. We say, Baruch Hashem this is the bracha that's made under the chuppah by the Kiddushin, right? V'tzivanu ala harayis V'asar lanu asarusais V'hiter lanu asarusais lanu ayidei Chuppah v'kiddushin Which means that as long as there's only the Kiddushin state, the husband and wife Their husband and wife, meaning if chas v'shalom something goes wrong And they want to separate, they need a, a full-fledged divorce And the woman would not be able to get married to a koyin afterwards, she's a grusha They're 100% married But there's one caveat They're not allowed to live together they're married, but they're not allowed to live together. You ever heard of a, a, the, the strangest... Uh, so, by virtue of what are they married? What is the, what is the definition of this marriage? Commitment. What? Commitment. They're just committing themselves. That's they're fully married, but. but neither of them is gaining any of the benefits of the marriage. Uh -huh. yeah. Because in Yiddishkeit, the benefits are secondary. The benefits, that's by the way, by the Goyim, that's all there is, is the Nesuyim. Because the, the definition of the marriage is the benefits that they have from each other. I, we live together and we enjoy each other's company and, and uh, you cook for me and I make the money or vice versa, right? Whatever it may be. But the Jewish marriage is not defined by the benefits. It's defined by the, uni the, 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 the union of the Neshamis and the, the higher aspirations and ideals. And that's symbolized by the Kiddushin, by the Kiddush of the marriage, which is the bedrock and the foundation of the marriage. So this idea we're talking about over here, that true relationship is based on neshama, is obviously also, and even much more so, true with regards to, it's true about all relationships, and especially true regarding marriage. Yeah. Why 12 months? Why 12 months? Wait. Can you translate the rest of that? I don't know. So we thank Hashem who sanctified us with His commandment, command, commandments, and commanded us regarding um, illicit relationships, and He forbade for us the arusa, in other words, the stage, the husband and wife, when they're the stage of Erusin of Kiddushan, but permitted to us as those which are after Nisuin, Blessed are you who sanctifies um, his nation Israel. Yeah. Forbid us the arayos and what? And, and the asar lano sa'arusis. In other words, that forbid that uh, when, when, there, when in the state of Erison, which is Kedushan, that's the first stage, forbade um, a relationship between the. Between yeah. Between yeah. So now we are going to move to inside. This is on page Mem Aleph, opposite of page 80, um, 10 lines on the bottom. This is what Hillel Zakin said the, regarding this mitzvah, regarding the mitzvah of Yisrael. 
This is the entire Torah of Eidach Pirusha Uchula, and the rest is commentary. This is the famous story that um, a convert, prospective convert, wanted to, uh, came to Hilo, first came to Shammai. That's an interesting part of history is that during that time, um, this we're talking about in um, the first century of the Common Era. It was a time of incredible, incredible uh, mass conversions in the, in the Roman Empire. I was just uh, looking at a book today, not a Jewish book. I mean, it's a book about Jews, but not, not written by any from source. It says that the Roman Empire, the population was 70 million at that time. And the Jewish population was 7 million, most of whom were converts, which is a fascinating... Uh, but we, we, we know anecdotally that there were a lot of, that were a lot of converts standard. But Kiva was, a, was a, child, a child of converts, and then there was a mayor who was from a converts, and there was Onkulo Sager, and then there was Akila Sager. And uh, the Gemara here in Shabbos talks about the three different converts who came. And the, the history books talk about there was a tremendous time of uh, people converting to Yiddishkeit. So this prospective um, convert comes to Shammai and says, teach me the Torah while I am on, stand on one foot. And as we all learned in first grade or kindergarten, Shammai chased the, the very mean and stern and harsh Shammai chased him away. Now as adults, we can revisit the story and we can realize that he wasn't very mean or harsh. And we can imagine any non-Jew walking into a rabbi today and saying, teach me Torah and convert me on the condition that you teach me Torah on one foot. What would that rabbi do? What? He would tell him to go fly a kite, right? So Shammai wasn't, uh, he wasn't unusually mean or harsh. This is a person coming and seemingly making a laughing stock of the whole conversion process. Teach me the whole Torah on one foot. And so Shammai, uh, Shammai showed him the door. <coughs> that what? Chase away? That, that, that's true even by a convert who comes with the proper intentions and is completely respectful. How much more so someone who comes in and, and makes a statement such as, teach me the whole Torah as in one foot. Yes? I know we do it, but what is it based on? What is what based on? That we chase away That's the halacha. What is based on? What is the halacha based on? Yeah, it's on gross. Right. She three times, she tried to discourage her, uh, her daughter-in-law from coming with her. So this, uh, this geir comes then to uh, Hillel, and Hillel says, you want to learn the Torah all on one foot? He says, oh, sure, no problem. Okay, pick up your foot, <laughs> let's get started. He said, that which is hateful unto you, um, don't do to, uh, to your fellow. This is the entire Torah, the rest is commentary, zil gemayr. Go study. Go study the commentary. Yes? I just realized when you're saying it, maybe he's saying that, that instruction because he, he, he behaved in a certain way that he wouldn't do to somebody else. Would he really walk up to some, What he did to Hillel, would he do that to himself? I just thought about I hear, it now. Maybe. The Arab Farshim will say also that, that, that he had a deeper, the, this convert wasn't as shallow as it seems. And he was what he actually was saying is, what is the one foot upon which the entire Torah stands? Teach me the Torah on one foot, in other words, the one foot of Torah. And maybe Shammai didn't discern that. And uh, and, 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 and Hillel saw what he was saying. Oh, you want to know the one foot upon which the whole Torah stands? Here it is. Avas Yisrael. Don't do to your fellow that which you don't want done to yourself. That is the Zeu Kala Torah Kula. 
Isn't that beautiful? But what does that mean? Once again, let's, let's examine the statement of Hillel. We know that Hillel had a student whose name was Rabbi Yechelem and Zakai. Rabbi Yechelem and Zakai had uh, two students, Rabbi Lazar and Rabbi Yeshua. And those two students had a student whose name was Rabbi Kiva, right? So we had um, Hillel's spiritual great-grandchild, Rabbi Kiva, said something similar. What did Rabbi Kiva say? Someone should know this. Rashi, That sounds similar. But is it the same thing? How would that translate? Translates that this is a great rule in the Torah. What he doesn't say, Rabbi Kiva, he doesn't say this is the great rule of the Torah. Zeklal Gadol Batayra does not mean this is the rule. It's a great rule in the Torah. What does that mean on a simple level? That means that Avis Yisrael Takim, how many mitzvahs are there that are, if Avis Yisrael is the klal, is the general rule, how many mitzvahs are there that take that rule and flesh it out? How many details are there to the mitzvah of Avis Yisrael? How many other mitzvahs are there that you might say really are just uh, sub uh, subcategories of Avas Yisrael. Go ahead. We, we, we can name a hundred going around the table over here. If you love your fellow Jew, don't kill him. Don't take, uh, don't take very good. Don't take interest. If you love your fellow Jew, so if you see uh, uh, something, he lost something, go return it. If you love your, your fellow Jew, don't be jealous of him. If you love your fellow Jew, uh, if you see that his donkey is falling, you pick. How many myths are there that are based? So that's what Kiva says. You want to know Avas Yisrael? It's such a great mitzvah because it is a, it, it is a mitzvah which is a klau, which contains in it so many of the other mitzvahs are really just pratim, details of that mitzvah. But how about not wearing shotness? How about shaking a lulav? Are those, are those details of Avas Yisrael? No. No relationship, right? But Hillel takes it further. Hillel says, Zehu kol kula. The mitzvah obviously Yisrael, this is the entire Torah. The idah pirusha, who and the rest is commentary. How do you understand that? How does that make sense? But it, I want you, which is an, an, another thing. He didn't say v'haftarach. He doesn't say that either. It's another question. Why he doesn't say the mitzvah straight? That's, that's a different thing. Don't do to someone else. Yeah. How? Yeah. So how how is uh, wearing sharpness in, uh, in violation of don't do to another what you want uh, don't want done to yourself? Because oh, this is this, he says this is the whole Torah. Yeah, so yeah, he's paraphrasing obviously. So we have, have to understand why we're paraphrasing. Probably get that next week. Why Hilo didn't say it straight out. But the quote, what does it mean? Zel right. kolat How is shotness? How is shotness? How is that shotness? How is that shotness? Or, or, or all, all the other mitzvahs should be another machaveri. How is bringing ketayrus in the base hamikdash a part of that? I mean, how many mitzvahs are there that have been Adam al-Markim, which we have to, how is davening, uh, um, have to do, what does that have to do with my Avas Yisrael? I'm putting up a mezuzah on my door. Eating kosher, etc. So Rashi, in the Gemara, Taka, he, uh, he gives two, he, two explanations. One explanation that he gives is, when he says, Zeukala means... Because rave of the mitzvahs of the Torah, Rashi says, most of the mitzvahs are based on obviously so. So when he said, Kala Kula, he meant most. And that second Peter Rashi gives the Gemara, he says, because, what says, Vehafta lirei acha kamoicha. 
So the word Reya, the word your fellow, can also be a reference to Hashem. Because the Pasuk says, the Pasuk refers to Hashem as Reyacha Vireya Avicha. Your fellow, your friend, and the friend of your father. It goes without saying that both, both of these Pirushim are somewhat, you know, in general, when Rashi brings two Pirushim, why does he bring two Pirushim? Because each one is somewhat problematic. Otherwise, you'd have brought only one, only one Pirush. Rashi, he's not a Kavis Mefarshim. Rashi, you know, they're, they're, they're those Taka who are busy they're collecting many different answers. Rashi gives the straight, most straightforward. So the problem with the first one, the problem was saying that it's uh, most mitzvahs, is that he'll say, he didn't even say Zeu Kol HaToyra. He says, Zau kol kula. He had to add an extra emphasis. Not only Zau kol Zau kol kula. This is the entire Torah in its entirety. And now you're going to say that it means only most of them? It's dachuk. It's, uh... And the second answer to say that, that Hillel was talking, telling, talking to the Geir about the way Hashem wants to be treated, again, it's not the simple interpretation. It's another example of something that when you put it under the microscope, it's much more problematic than when you, you give it a cursory look. It looks so beautiful. Then when you put it under the microscope, what does that mean? What does it mean? What do you say in Hebrew where Hillel says, don't do it another way, you wouldn't want done something in It's not in Hebrew, it's in Aramaic. He said in Aramaic, Ma'da Allah Sani, L'chavrach lo'i savid. Ma, Ma'da Allah, that which to you, Sani, is hated, with a, with a, with a Samach, to your friend, do not do. I have a question. It said when Mashiach came, forever the Shammai was Mechaev to be, you know, be the Allah will be like the Shammai. Yeah. Right. So, how is related to us now? How is Everything what? is the opposite. Everything is it's a great question. There are beautiful answers to it, but that's not for right now. It's, uh, it's not really related to what we're talking about here. Don't do it to another, or don't do it to your brother like it. What was the, la what's the lesson? L'chavrach. L'chavrach. To your fellow. Yes? How is this different from the golden rule? I believe the golden rule is, was expressed um, in the New Testament by someone who shall uh, remain nameless in today's class. What's fascinating is that the golden rule, I believe, is do unto, do unto the other that which you want done to yourself. And Hillel said in the opposite way. The significance of that, we'll have to wait till next week to find out, probably. But uh, I, I have news for you. The golden rule and its author both came about after Hillel. The, Hillel passed away, if I remember correctly, around the year 30 of the first... Uh, of the common era. Oh, so then, not necessarily. Okay, take that back, yeah. Um, maybe Shabnas is connected to, you know, um, to what Hillel said in a way that, like, if you don't have that basic principle set up first, you may not trust this guy to check your clothes. You may not trust the lulav that is offering you, or you may not share it with him, or if you're shaking lulav specifically... How about the mitzvah of Avas Hashem? Right, so if you don't have this, then you can't love God correctly because he made this fellow here too. So if you don't love this fellow, you can't say that you love God entirely. You're very creative. You're, you're missing a vital point in every okay. step of your life. I, I hear what you're saying. Dr. Reb is going to offer a different answer, but it doesn't necessarily negate what you're saying. I'm not asking you to love the fellow. The fellow is not saying love yourself. He says what's, what to you is hateful right. to somebody else. Right. That's what he's saying. Right. 
again, which is a peculiar way of expressing the mitzvah of Avos Yisrael, which again we have to um, flesh out that also. Okay, inside again. He, because why is Avas Yisrael the Yisoid of the, the foundation of the entire Torah? Because Yisoid Vishayr is What is the foundation and the root of the entire Torah? What is the purpose of Torah? What's it coming to accomplish? Is to elevate and to prioritize the Neshama over the Guf. Maila, Maila. So much higher. Ad ikra v'sharsha d'chol almin up to the source of all of creation, of all the worlds. The entirety of Torah mitzvahs, what is the purpose and what is the goal? Is that a person should live a life which is a neshama life. A selfless life. A life of service to Hashem as opposed to a goof life, which is a life of self-obsession and self-interest. A while ago I was looking through the dictionary and I noticed that self, words that begin with self and are hyphenated, I think there were more than 250 such words. More than 250 words in the dictionary that begin with self. And self-esteem, and self, uh, self-image, and self-loathing, and self-loving, and self-deprecation, uh, and self—a list of more than 250 words. Everyone here can probably write another five, if I asked. Because in a, in a world where we're in a Nefesh Bahamas world, the self occupies such a large space that we need 250 words just to uh, describe the various ways that we think and feel and, and relate to ourselves. And that's what we're up against. We're up against the goof. And then Afshah Bahamas, the self-centeredness, which is our natural state of being. And the purpose of the entire Torah, entire mitzvah is, what is the goal of everything? Is that we should become the Shama people. That is really what Tanya is all about. As you, you know, as we said many times in the very first chapter of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe lays the foundation. What is the foundation? Is that every Yid has two nefashes, every Yid has two different uh, energy sources, two different souls, the godly soul and the animal soul. And the entire Tanya is devoted to how to live a life which is consistent with, the, not only consistent, a life where you're constantly channeling and manifesting the godly soul and not the animal soul, which is the the struggle of our life every single minute of our life. And it's not only about what our behaviors. Our behaviors are a manifestation of that. It's a, deeper, it's a deeper battle. What is my life? Am I waking up in the morning? Am I thinking, what am I going to do today? And what, you know, what am I going to enjoy today? And what am I going to do today to, uh, to further my development and to further my finances? And to become, you know, to, what can I do today that will make me feel good and give me pleasure? Or is, do we have a life which is devoted to Hashem? When I'm taking a sip of uh, a sip of water or a seltzer, what, what, what is it? The action is the same, but is this a, 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 an act which bespeaks my self-centeredness, my desire to quench my thirst, or is this an act of service to Hashem? And the whole Torah is to have that mindset, that, uh, that mindset shift, that we become neshama people, nefesh people, godly people. Yes? So 
I'm not sure if I really understand. Are you saying that it's a lacking to feel good about yourself? No. That would be in violation of every principle of the 21st century, so I will not say that. Um, if you don't feel good about yourself, then you won't be able to serve Hashem with joy and with gladness of heart, which is a very primary idea. But we have to redefine what feeling good about ourselves is. And this is something we've been talking about for several chapters, but specifically in chapter 31. The biggest illusion that we have is that we think that happiness and feeling good about ourselves can come from our self-centered self and it's the exact opposite. That's the source of our misery. Feeling good about oneself actually comes from living a life of the neshama, a life of service, a life of transcendence. Not that that's why we're doing it, because that would be a catch-22, if you get what I'm saying. In other words, if I'm living a life of transcendence because, if, because I want to feel good, then that's not being very transcendent. But as it happens, that's actually the source of all joy. Think about it. Why do people join the army? You have a, in America, was it a million people in the army? More than what, what, what is the most basic desire causes people to, to, to join the army? Why do people enjoy being in the army? It's hard work. It's not like you don't get the, you're not getting a five star treatment. It's not a five star hotel. Anyone here was in the army? You were in the army? What? Okay, you were in the army, right? Tell us. What, what, what's the, what do you gain from being in the army? Israeli army is different because you're defending your country. American army, I don't know. Okay. I have to go because I want to serve my... Uh, and you think the American army is the same thing? I don't think so. You're defending your country. Defending the, uh, the it's a different country, but that's... The, what? You're defending the corporation. It's a very cynical look. Yes? No, I understand what you're saying. You're saying because you're fighting for a larger goal. Right. There you go. There you go. When... when, when there is no greater than being bigger than yourself. When you, if I have my own job and I'm a CPA, and every single day I go to work nine to five and I make my, you know, I, I make my hundred grand and whatever, what, my life is small. When I'm, I'm in the army, I'm part of this huge thing and a goal, a noble goal, which is so much larger than me. But a yid can be a CPA and and still be part of this larger thing. That's what Torah says. But that's if you're living not a self-centered life, and that's really. And here's the question. If someone is living a life of the neshama, not a self-centered life, not a, not a life of the goof and neshamamas, what is symptom number one? If he's living according to neshama, what's the A person who's living a life, a neshamadik life, meaning a life of an avda de kuchabrihu. It's not about what you do. In other words, one person can have a cup of water, another person, but, but it's from two different places. One person can learn some Gemara, another person can learn some Gemara. But for one of them, it's part of the agenda that I want to be, uh, I want to be a Baki Bishas. Another person wants to serve the Ebishter, wants to serve Hashem. One is a Neshama person and one is a, a Guf and Hashem Muhammad person. What is symptom number one? What is the one thing that will differentiate them? You can see in behavior, you mean? Yes. Who said Simcha? Very good. I wasn't expecting anyone to answer that, but I was hoping someone would answer that. Symptom number one is simcha, as we discussed at length in the last chapter, in chapter 31. That such a person will, be, will have incredible joy. Symptom number two is Avas Yisrael. 
Because if you're living a life which is a self-interested life, then it's all about me. Will I love another person? As about as much as they benefit me. But if I live a life of an Ashamadika person, we're all one. We're all here to serve Hashem. Just like the unity in the army, right? To a certain extent, because you're part of this largest thing, and, and as is your friend and your friend and the other person, that engenders an incredible unity, because by entering the army, you've to a certain extent given up your self-benefit. And you're here for the larger thing, so therefore everyone who's in there is part of that. As Klal Yisrael, if I live on a Shama life, then automatically I have Avas Yisrael. So when Hillel says that Avas Yisrael is Kola Teira Kula, the Idach Pirusha, this entire Teira and the rest is, is commentary, he meant yes. The entire Teira is about living a life of the Neshama. And where is this expressed? In Avas Yisrael. Yes. That's a great question. Um, it's a great question. Come next week and ask me the question right in the beginning of the class and we'll discuss this next week. But we're out of time. And I want to finish with another Nukuda. It's a very good question. And 100% where you're saying Salam Alakim, Chafiv Adam Shaniv Rabbi Salam applies to every single human being. There's no question about it. You're asking still a good question and we'll get to that tomorrow, um, next week. So, as we discussed, as we discussed last week, but just to, once again, to bring, uh, to drive home this Nukuda, the point, the beauty of this idea is is that Avas Yisrael is not about a technique. How do, I, how do I improve my relationships? It's not about, okay, this technique or that technique. Avas Yisrael is a direct a direct uh, consequence of my spiritual um, status. If I am the way I am supposed to be, if I'm living in a Shamadika life, Avas Yisrael is going to be the most natural thing that there is. And if I don't, then, I w then Avas Yisrael will always be contingent. But that's a symptom, that's not the cause, that's not, that's not the root problem. The root problem is that I'm living in a place of uh, self-centeredness. So if you want to fix your Avas Yisrael, the place to start is inside. The place to start is in your own Avodah, in your own Avodah Sashem. Because Avas Yisrael is a direct consequence of where you are standing in your battle between the godly side of you and the self-interested side that is within you. And we will continue next week, and next week we'll have to, we'll have to address the question about, uh, about the non-Jews. We also have to address, we still have to go a little further into what Hillel said and figure out the incredible depth and layers of meaning and why Hillel specifically chose to uh, convey the message in a negative form. Why didn't he just say, love your fellow as yourself, that is the whole thing, and the rest is commentary. Don't do to your fellow what you don't want done to yourself. So we will talk about that also next week. And um, 
Yitzhak Hashem Takem Yerushalayim Ir HaKodesh Amen. Amen. We have, uh, the re- yes, the rest of the nine days in the Tishabel should be a very big yamta. Have a good job, everyone. Amen.